We are in week 25 of Come Follow Me, and that is Samuel chapter 8 through 10, 13, 15 through 18. Chapter 17, verse 39, where it says, um, David, Saul tries to put his armor on David, and David says, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And it was this word proved that has just rolled around in my head. And what does that mean? And proved means I have not tried them. I have not made sure they work for me. David proved that God was exactly who David thought. And he is but a youth at this point. And I love the comparison. One of the things that really stood out is Saul at the beginning when he is anointed by Samuel says, who am I? I'm of the smallest tribe, the least of the tribes of Israel. And I noticed every time he said something, Samuel said something, it was I, I am not important. I am from a small tribe, right? It was always the emphasis on him. And that lasts for like two years. I mean, hardly any time at all. And all of a sudden, as he's king and he's having this fame and this popularity, the focus is still I, how important he is in this comparison. He wants to be the best. So really, and I have to think it's the way it's written, that it's written that way for a reason. His focus from the beginning is himself. Even when he seems humble, the word is I. And then you have David who is anointed. And David from the beginning talks about working for his father in the sheep's field and defeating a lion and defeating a bear. And he doesn't say, I have. He says, God has. And then when he comes and he hears this Goliath taunting the Israelites, he's so like blown out of the water that they would allow this because they are God's people. It isn't pride. It's how dare you even question that we will win. We're God's army. And with God, we can do anything. And so I love this comparison because the way it's written is from the beginning as a child. And when we are told to be childlike, David does not doubt God. It's never an emphasis on himself. It is always on God. And the sad thing is later in David's life is when he loses that. But even as he loses that, I this is one of those stories that... I can barely even read because I love David and I love after as he writes Psalms and we have so many Psalms from him. It reminds me of Nephi, a wretched man that I am. It reminds me of Alma the Younger, the vilest of sinners and what the Lord exalts him to through the repentance. So I have to trust God and I leave that to God, but I'll tell you what that tells me in this story is the comparison and how our emphasis always needs to be on God and that it's God who makes us able to do things. It's never about us. No matter how many callings, no matter how many degrees, no matter what we do, we are only as great as God allows us to be. 
And if we remember that, then God will do great things with us. Um, I think of our prophet and his apostles and all the degrees those men have and all that they have done in their lives. But what makes them truly incredible men is God and being used as instruments in God's hands. Sorry. And that was so amazing to me to read that and have that thought this morning is what the minute David slew Goliath is God was proved and he knew and he already knew that with childlike faith but man that became his rock his Ebenezer the rest of his life is he knew God even when he fell he immediately was so repentant and knew and and God was proved to him and so the question I had is, when was God proved to you? What was it in your life that proved him? What was it in your life that has made you not be like Samuel's sons who started to take bribes and do wrong things or not be like Eli's sons or not even be like Eli where he, he didn't want to chastise his sons or correct his sons and he feared man more than God. My daughter just was um, set apart and started her at-home MTC. She will be leaving to France on her mission. But the last 30 days has been this struggle like I have never seen. She's our fifth missionary. And she decided she was going to be proactive. She has some anxiety and meet with a counselor and just learn some things that she could do to help her once she got on the mission and began to struggle, knowing missions are hard. And she met with the counselor and after meeting with him for one hour, the counselor really recommended that either she delay or that she be reassigned stateside. And then the counselor and the bishop had her take one of those assessments that the church does for for kids who struggle with anxiety. And so she took the assessment and then a week later, the results came back and they told her again that she would not be able to go to France. And if she did wanna to go to France, she would have to postpone, continue to meet with the counselor and get on some medication. We'd go, okay, it doesn't matter where I go, it just matters that I go. And she's had numerous blessings and we've had numerous family gatherings and had peace and she'd be at peace she'd go to bed and in the morning she would wake up and say i know i am supposed to go to france and i am supposed to go when i was assigned june 13th and we would go kinley that's no longer on the board it's no longer an option you can't and man this child who has had this little girl who has never wanted to serve but who started to have such strong feelings that she should in November. She thought once she submitted her papers, that, that perpetual anxiety of you've got to, you've got to, you've got to would leave. She submitted her papers. It didn't leave. It escalated. Then she got the call and she just said this in Sunday, on Sunday in her farewell. Um, most of you joke and say, you know, I hope I don't get called to Idaho. I hope I don't get called to Colorado. And she said, I was hoping I got called to Idaho. I was hoping I got called to Colorado. So were my parents. 
and she opened her call and it was France. And she talks about upping her scripture study, listening to conference talks, going to the temple to try and have peace, to quiet that anxiety, that that anxiety escalated once she opened her call and how much Satan worked on her. And this past Thursday, the stake president came and let us know that the brethren had ruled and had said she would have to delay six months. And Kinley was so distraught that she had ever even said anything because she felt so strongly that that's what she was supposed to do. Now, again, I want to emphasize this was not something she wanted to do. This was something she felt so strongly she had to do. And we, she went to bed, the stake, she just cried and cried. The stake president came and told her, he said, McKinley, I want you to know I will fight for you for it. They're saying you have to postpone six months. I will call and fight for you for six weeks, but I want you to know that's going to be a miracle. So President Nelson says, pray for miracles, pray for miracles. So we did. And I did not sleep that entire night. And I said to my husband, I am not worried. This does not affect my testimony. And I know it does not affect yours. I'm worried about this little girl who for 30 days has fought for us to understand how strongly she feels France is her mission. And it isn't that she wants to go and it has to be France. It's that she feels so strongly. She has had so many different witnesses. That is where she is supposed to go. She has learned that she gets personal revelation from God above her mom in her life. And Friday afternoon, the state president came over and said, a miracle just happened. They have ruled that she can go and she can start Monday. And she, I think it's because he said to them, she will not go. If you postpone, she will not go. And she already has gone to get her visa flown, to get her visa done everything. So why not just let her go? And anyway, we just cried. And I said to McKinley, oh my goodness. And she goes, mom, I never doubted. I mean, it was hard every time they came back and said, no, but she said I would kneel down and peace would just wash over me. That is my mission. I am going. And Saturday morning, two words were in my head when I woke up, and it was my Jesus. And at the end of Second Nephi, at the end of Nephi's life, when he has gone through all of these trials and all of these hardships, he is the scripture that says, I glory in plainness, I glory in truth, I glory in my Jesus, for he has redeemed my soul from hell. Nowhere else in the standard works is he ever referred to as my Jesus. And I remember reading that and saying to my seminary students, has Jesus become yours? Would you call him mine? And as I read that, I realized Jesus has become McKinley's that she will testify to the people of France that he is an infinite savior, but he is also an intimate savior who knows us personally, who answers our prayers and walks with us.
And I know that Jesus has been proved to McKinley that she knows wherein her hope and her trust lies. They have become very close this last month. And I suspect that will continue for the next 18 months. But that's what I loved about this chapter. And so I would ask you to ask yourself, has he been proved to you? Has he become yours? Is he my Jesus? And if he is not, what do we need to do to pick those five things that prove him in our lives that we can count on to defeat our Goliaths and our enemies so that our lives don't go astray as Saul's did, as Eli's did, but that we are as Samuel. And that even if we do sin like David, we come right back. And David should have sooner before he arranged for Uriah's death, which I just hate that. But I love that he came back in his beautiful words, in his psalms. He does love God. And somehow that will all work out. But I'm so grateful for that example, how important it is that we prove him and that we know he's ours. I love that in this, in these chapters. I think that is so beautiful. I hope you know the church is true. And more than that, I hope Jesus is yours and that you know how much our Savior loves you.